Hey, I love therapy, and in fact, I've been going to therapy since I was around six years old. Though I talk about therapy a lot and may interview some therapists on the show on occasion, nothing that is said in this podcast should be considered a replacement for therapy. If you are struggling, I urge you to please seek guidance from a therapist because you are absolutely worth it. Hello everyone, you are listening to Wine, Dine, and 69, a podcast about dating, relationships, sex, and self-love. <sighs> I hope everybody is hanging in there uh, with the bleak state of the world right now. Uh, it's hard to believe that just two weeks ago, all of this wasn't even happening. And in those two weeks, I have taken the opportunity to educate myself. Um, I'm going to admit that I was rather, very, ignorant about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Seems like a rather cavalier word. Um, And so I've taken the opportunity over the last two weeks to listen and reflect and I've watched different YouTube videos on the history, I've read articles, I've talked to friends um, who are not American to get a sense of what the rest of the world, you know, how, how they put all the pieces together so I can get a better picture of things uh, and trying to read news that is not American. Um, overall, I'm just really sad. I think that I have not been this politically plugged in since uh, Biden took office. I feel like when he who must not be named was in office, uh, that he, that I, I had to pay attention to politics all the time and it was absolutely exhausting. So when we got Biden in office, I, I got to take a break and kind of disengage a little bit politically. That's not really an option right now. Um, And so I'm kind of back in this place where I'm turned on and engaged politically again, uh, tuned in. It's just very, it's a lot. Uh, It's exhausting, but it's important to do the learning. Uh, So yeah, I hope everybody is taking the opportunity to be kind to yourself, be kind to the people that you love. If you have friends that um, are Israeli or Palestinian, to reach out to them, give them your love, uh, donate where you can, and try to make sure every piece of information that you are reacting to because I think it's a very naturally so it's a very reactive time Uh, but try to double triple check your sources don't just trust the things that you're seeing from people on social media it's really important to not engage we haven't heard the phrase fake news in quite some time but it's really important to not engage in that right now um 
And of course, part of that is hard because a lot of the information that we're getting is trickled down through various lots of things. Uh, So yeah, I hope you're holding those that you love close. You're taking the opportunity to learn and you're taking care of yourself. Um, The biggest thing that I've been doing recently that even though the world has been pretty fucking depressing, um, the biggest thing that I've been doing recently is I took up running. I was gonna, I needed to give that moment for that to sink in for everybody. Um, Those who know me know that that's pretty insane. I really don't like physical exercise. I don't like being hot. I don't like being sweaty. Uh, I get very little enjoyment out of those things. I much prefer to be in bed eating food uh, with sex being my primary workout. Not, okay, not in bed with food, only on special occasions. Uh, but in general, that's gross. I don't, I don't like crumbs in my, in my sleeping space. But you get the point. Those are things that I like. I like eating. I like relaxing in bed. I like reading. I like watching TV um, and thinking a lot, just circling the drain of my mortality, considering who I am and what my purpose is and all of that good stuff. None of those things require movement. So I just don't do that very much. But, you know, I had a, a therapy appointment about a month ago, and I was facing some pretty difficult things in that appointment. And I just had this thought, God, I just wish I could run away. And I've been feeling that a lot in the last couple weeks with everything going on. And uh, in that moment, I was like, well, running away isn't going to solve my problems. But what if I took that and turned it into something productive. So I did. And I have started running three times a week using an app called uh, Just Run Couch to 5K. And uh, I'm really annoyed. I'm really, really annoyed because for my entire life, people have told me that if I exercise, that my mental health will be better, that my depression won't be as bad, that blah, 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 blah. And I just ignored it because I didn't want to. And now that I've done it, I'm really annoyed that everybody was right. Uh, I am so much happier. I have so much more energy And I actually have started to look forward to the feeling of running, which is just, I mean, my friends who are listening to this are like, what are going to be like, what the actual fuck? Um, And who knows, maybe it won't stick. But as of now, I've been pretty diligent about keeping to a schedule. Sometimes my partner runs with me. Sometimes I do it by myself. Uh, But I'm pretty devoted to maintaining this. One of my things that I wanted to do this year in 2023 was to focus more on my health and starting to exercise, which is, you know, something that I just haven't really done outside of dance, um, which has 
been less and less in my life lately. Uh, it's just not something that I've been doing. And so intentionally adding running into my schedule, I'm annoyed and really, really frustrated to have to admit it, but those articles are right. Your therapist is right. Uh, exercise, serotonin, endorphins, whatever. But that's a really big way that I've been taking care of myself. Uh, and I encourage everybody to find their way of taking care of themselves right now. Whether that be through a form of physical exercise, uh, not required, picking up a new hobby, or just like allowing yourself to disengage. And I think that that is kind of a, a touchy topic because a lot of people are saying, you know, if you're silent, then you're complicit. True to a certain extent, but... <sighs> It is so difficult to be turned, tuned in politically. I keep saying turned on. This is a sex podcast, but like that's not what we're talking about here. So we'll get to that. That's in the that's in the meat of the episode, the interview. Uh, it's so exhausting to be tuned in, and you you really can't do much good if you're exhausted. You know, just yesterday I was driving through my neighborhood and I saw a sign in a window that said one of my favorite life mottos, which is you can't pour from an empty cup. And I took a picture of it because I was like, wow, I say that all the time. And isn't that a good reminder right now of all times? It's important to empathize. It's important to learn. It's important to engage. It's important to try to enact change you can't do any of that if you're not taking care of yourself. And so that's what I, that's my, my call to action. There are lots of calls to action right now, but my call to action, um, which is a drop in the bucket compared to what a lot of other people are doing, but it's what I, it's what I know and it's what I have. Uh, I encourage you to take time to find your self-love practices and do what is going to keep you mentally healthy. Disengage if you need to. Check in on your loved ones. Check in on yourself. Turn off your phone and don't pay attention to the news for an afternoon or an evening. <sighs> Unfortunately, the news will still be there when you get back. Um, but you have to come first. And just because you choose to disengage for a period of time does not mean that you don't care. I think that's a really dangerous narrative. It's okay to take some time to recharge because then you can come back and you can actually get things done. So how are you taking care of yourself? I've been wondering that. There's a lot of people on social media who are, it feels like, I'm really into um, Najwa Zabin right now. And uh, there's a couple other people who are like activists on Instagram. And it just feels like they're posting like every hour. And I've like been tempted to 
like message them and be like, hey, like, are you taking care of yourself? Like, what what are your self-love practices? Um, yeah. So what are your self-love practices? Tune into those. Take some time to yourself. Figure out what you need. Listen to your body. I'm getting much better at that now. Um, and fill your cup first. That's what I got. Uh, So today, taking a very hard left turn, we're going to be talking about a topic that we've talked about a bit. Talked. We've talked about this topic quite a bit. (laughs) Um, And it's non-monogamy, but we're going to be looking at it through a different lens of the jealousy aspect and how you can combat jealousy in a non-monogamous relationship. What can people who are in monogamous relationships learn from those who are in non-monogamous relationships? What do self-love practices have to do with non-monogamy? How can self-love practices help to mitigate jealousy? Uh, These are all things that we explore and more. There are a few forms of therapy that I'd never heard of that we talk about as well. Uh, Karen has a program called Non-Monogamy Academy. I'm going to link to that in the episode notes, but it's a very cool resource where you can learn if you're just curious or if you and a partner want to dip your toes into that world. It's a blueprint guide course (laughs) for how to do that effectively. Uh, So lots of great resources in this one. Uh, I put them all in the episode notes as per usual. Um, And yeah, I think that that's all I got for right now. I feel like this intro was a little more disjointed than usual, but you know what? I'm a little more disjointed than usual, and so is the fucking world. So uh, it seems fitting to me. All right, everyone, take care of yourselves. And I'm going to cut to a quick commercial break. Then please enjoy my conversation with Karen Whitmire. So CBD is great, right? Sex is great, right? Okay, so what happens when you put the two of them together? What you get is a honeypot CBD-infused personal lubricant. Created by a couple who is wonderfully in love, Dennis and Jesse, Honeypot is the perfect lube to level up your sex life. They also have an intimate romantic massage oil to get you revved up and started called Romantic Escapades. You're definitely going to want to try these products. This wonderful couple put a ton of work into them. And if you want to learn more about them and their story, you can go ahead and visit that episode. Episode 59. Wouldn't it be great if it were 69? It really would have been. Oh, well. Anyway, give Honeypot a try. Give Romantic Escapades a try. And let me know what you think. You can go and learn more about them at fantasticescapades.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. I am super excited today to be tuning in with my guest, Karen Whitmire. Uh, Karen, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me today, Rachel. 
I'm super excited to get in this conversation. I think that um, non-monogamy is a topic that gets talked about a lot. Um, It's very much a a buzzword, but we don't really talk about how to do it effectively and what an important part self-care is. Yeah. and so we're kind of going to jump into that today. But before we get to the the meat of things, as it were, um, tell me a little bit about you, your story, mm-hmm. and how you came to be involved in this work. Yeah, that could actually be quite a long story, but I'll try That's to shorten okay. it up a little bit. <laughs> um, I, 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 I've always, I feel like non-monogamy is my orientation, and there's a debate in the community about like orientation versus right. a choice, but I do feel like it's more of an orientation for me. I, I didn't know that there was this option, though, and about a decade ago, I discovered that there was this option and opened up from a monogamous relationship, um, and you know, it, it was a rocky start like it is for most people, and Um, I was in a different career at the time, and uh, there was some rockiness in that career, uh, but I'd always had an interest in psychology. And so I decided to change careers and ended up, I was like, I'm going to go into being a therapist because I really have a passion for, like, I see that there's not a whole lot of um, acceptance for non-monogamous relationships in Mm. the therapy community. So I went in, uh, went back to grad school, got my um, therapy degree and came out of that and started a private practice to uh, help people in non-monogamous relationships. And it's been really successful on that front. I, one of the major groups I work with, I also work with a lot of LGBTQIA clients. I'm a sex therapist. So I work with a lot of issues associated with gender identity, sexual identity, um, and just you know, any, anyone who feels sort of like an outcast, right? A lot of overlap with uh, ADHD and autism in that community. So it's like a big uh, conglomeration of people that I kind of work with there. Um, And I also decided to build a lot of educational materials on this front because there's not, there's a lot of good materials out there, but they're, they're written more from a layman's point of view than they are written from a therapeutic point of view. Mm. And so I wanted to write some better materials for people that uh, combines the experience that I have being a member of the community and being a therapist that works with people uh, and, ex- you know, helps them through a lot of these problems. So, so you have both the- that firsthand experience and you have the like educational background to, yep. to back up all up. Okay. Yeah. Um, what was that like, like transitioning, you know, out of, you said it was rocky. I mean, you don't need to share a ton, whatever <laughs> you're comfortable sharing, but mm-hmm. I know that, um, like you said, I think you did mention it, it is rocky for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, why, why do you think that is? Do you think it has to do with the societal norms? Do you think mm-hmm. it has to do with, um, uh, I mean, I don't want to say like gender, but you know, there's mm-hmm. this, uh, idea out there that in like straight cis couples that, the guy usually wants to try it and the woman mm-hmm. does it because, you know, she mm-hmm. wants to or sometimes it feels like there's not an even distribution of desire for it for it to happen. So I know that things can be messy there, but what are mm-hmm. some like common issues that people run into with that? Yeah, I do think that it's a lot of society. We don't have models for non-monogamy in our culture and it's getting better. 
right? We're getting more of it on television, more of it in the culture, more books about it. But when I opened up, certainly 10 years ago, there was very little literature on it. And you certainly didn't have depictions of it, certainly not healthy depictions of it uh, on television. We barely right. had healthy depictions of normal relationships know, on television. Right? Right? Those aren't interesting. <laughs> right, right. So there just wasn't much out there to know how we were supposed to do any of this, right? Like, how do you manage jealousy, for instance? How do you make agreements, right? Even in monogamous relationships, you're you're kind of handed the agreements that you're supposed to have around the relationship. But even within that, people aren't very good about negotiating those agreements. So t- learning how to discuss agreements was never given to people in monogamous relationships. And then to try to have to go be explicit about it when you're designing your own relationship and what it's supposed to look like, um, people break down at that point. They don't know how to do it. They've never been taught how to do it. And then you've got like, okay, well, I've had monogamy and sort of one way to do the relationship. And now I've got like a whole world open to me and I don't know how to do it from here. And I don't know what any of it looks like. And I don't know what I want. Right. And if you don't know what you want, non-monogamy can be very difficult if you're just trying to like make your partner happy and follow, follow them. Right. Yeah. That make I, I think that's what I was more referring to. If you're, if you're not fully in it or you have some Mm -hmm. trepidation, Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I've seen that a lot and it's, it sucks that there are people out there who do try to take advantage of, you know, this, uh, really, if you do it well and you do it in a way that works, like it can be Mm -hmm. really healthy for everybody involved. Yeah. Um, but it seems like there are people who are trying to use it sometimes as like a, a loophole. Um, yeah, which can definitely. be frustrating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, let's kind of like back up a little bit because we're going to get into self-love and how it um, kind of has to do with in the context of, of these types of relationships. But mm-hmm. backing up a little bit, why is self-love and self-care important as an individual? And mm-hmm. also piggybacking off of it, why is it important in um, a partnership or a relationship of any kind with multiple partners? Yeah, yeah. Well, understanding what you want in a relationship is really important. Uh, and, and knowing how to identify what you want and then speak up for it is really important. And that's not to, to say what you want to override your partner, but to be able to have a starting place to negotiate with your partner so that right. you're both getting your needs met, right? Instead of just waiting for your partner to state what they want and then deciding whether or not you can go along with it or how, like, okay, how, what do you have to do to be comfortable going along with whatever your partner wants, right? So the self-love is there to first even identify what you want, because a lot of people aren't even very good at that some of the time, right? <laughs> Especially if you're from a traumatic childhood or an authoritarian childhood, um, you may not have been given much of a chance to identify your wants or desires, and they right. got overridden by a parent. Um, so if you're not very good at identifying them, doing things like you know self-care, dating yourself, um, taking yourself out on dates, some of the ways that you can start to identify what you even want on a basic level. What do I want to eat tonight? <laughs> right? Um, what do I? You know, how do I 
care about myself? What are the things that help me feel good in my body? What helps me feel good independent of another person? Not just what, what do I feel good? You know, how do I feel good in helping someone else feel good? But what are my primary I feel good about? right, with me, instead of the secondary, I feel good because someone else is feeling good. Right. Right. It's like a, a centering thing. If you're centered in mm-hmm. yourself, then I always think about it like the external world is so loud. <laughs> and if you have like a, a stronger yeah. connection to your internal world, then then it kind of, even if everything around you is crazy, it helps to, to feel, to feel set, more settled and centered. Okay. Well, what kinds of self-love activities do you suggest for the people that you work with? I think that, you know, setting aside a night to take yourself on a date, right? And this can be kind of big to start on, um, but I, it's a good example of, you know, how do you um, how do you take care of yourself, right? If, if you have an entire evening to really focus on yourself and your needs, what do you do with yourself? Do you gravitate towards the foods you like? Do you gravitate towards the activities you like? Or do you just end up going and like watching TV, right? So, and if you're doing something like going and watching TV or something like that, you probably really need to take a step back and and look at what it is you're needing. So, One of the things that I always like to say to my clients is every emotion you're having is likely an indicator of a a need, right? You're either getting a need met or you're not getting a need met. And so if you're bored or you're sitting there in front of the television, you know, think about what, what emotion you're having coming up with that and what need maybe is or isn't getting met in that activity, right? Maybe the TV is an indicator that you're overwhelmed and that you really need to relax somehow. Uh, There's too much other stuff going on for you. Um, If you're bored, maybe you just don't, you don't know enough activities to do um, and you've got to go find some other new activities to do, right? If you're trying to reach out to friends, um, and go hang out with friends, you know, you, you might have some loneliness or some lack of connection in your life, right? So really take a look at what's going on for you. And this is where, you know, starting a journaling practice might really help is even if your first few date nights with yourself are just focused on journaling what's coming up for you and this process, you can really learn a lot about yourself and what you're seeking uh, in your needs. That's such a good point. Yeah, if if you are looking more towards, you know, like you said, socializing, there's there's something missing there that you're trying to uh, a need that you're trying to fill. Fascinating. Um, well, what about engaging in self-love and self-care in terms of so we know why it's important as individuals and why it's important mm-hmm. to take care of yourself. In terms of jealousy though, how does engaging in self-care help to combat jealousy? Yeah. So again, it goes back to, I I'm, tend to bring a lot of things back to this identifying needs, right? Mm-hmm. When, when we're feeling jealous, there's usually an insecurity under that, right? And that insecurity is a 
you know, a fear that we're losing someone else, we're losing pieces of ourselves. something about that, right? It's an, or it's um, an indicator that one of our needs isn't getting met within the relationship. Mm-hmm. So it's not always about a fear of losing the relationship. It might genuinely be like your partner is not, not there showing up for you in some way that you need to have in a relationship. Um, and, and so it's good to identify what that need is. Uh, and, and that self-care is going to help you really slow down and start to identify what those needs actually are instead of just reacting to the emotion mm. and then looking at this one way of getting this need met. So I, I kind of map this out, right? When we have a need that needs to be met, or wants to be met, we we might go towards, you know, I, I look at the need of food, right? So I have, everyone's got the need for food. We have like the optimum way that that need might be met is eating at our favorite restaurant. We might be okay with eating the leftovers from last night. We'd rather not eat the the ramen that's in the cupboard. <laughs> We're absolutely not going to eat the, the, you know, frozen corn dogs, you know, that have been sitting in the freezer for three months. Um, <laughs> so we have like this list of ways to get that need met and, and some of them are more preferable than others. And a lot of times if we're really deep into our emotions, we might only see one way of getting our needs met and that's the op- optimal way. When right. you really slow down and take that time for self-care, you can examine those emotions, examine what that need is, and and look at all the other options, right? And maybe expand on it. You know, this option might do, this option might do, this option might do, and see what they all are, see what you can meet for yourself, see what you might need to be asking for more of in your relationship. Hmm. Yeah, I can completely see that if you're right. It does all come back to like assessing your needs and mm-hmm. be able to see where, where you're feeling a little bit. Not, I don't want to use the word emptiness because that is such a negative connotation, but where you're feeling lack, I suppose, is a good way, a good way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And again, this idea that if you are taking care of yourself, then by extension, you are taking care of your partner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's a, a put your own, you know, mask on first, and then mm-hmm. you can help exactly. others put their mask on kind of exactly. idea. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. You can't pour from an empty cup, I tend to say. Yes. Yeah. Well, what about communicating? Um, I mean, this can be we're kind of opening more up to the idea of, you know, non-monogamy here or non or non not mm-hmm. non-consensual monogamy, consensual non-monogamy. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What about communicating in a relationship if one partner has more jealous tendencies? How can a couple communicate and how can the other cu- how can the other member of the couple be more understanding of their of their jealous partner? How can the person who is jealous communicate their needs clearly but in a way that's not going to be completely overwhelming? Like what's what's the best way to do that? Yeah, this one can be really difficult, right? And, and one of the, the biggest difficulties in this is figuring out where you as a couple sit on the, I, I kind of call it the autonomy to mutuality scale, right? So mm. on the one side is 
we're each taking care of our own needs, right, to the exclusion of the other, right? We're each very independent. It's up to us to manage our own emotions and our own feelings and deal with ourselves. On the mutuality side, it is um, we help each other out quite a bit. And you can see sort of at the extremes of these is the uber independent where why are we even bothering to be in a relationship? And on the extreme other end is codependency where we're so reactive to each other um, that we can't separate ourselves out from each other, right? So there's kind right. of the scale, but there's a wide range of healthy in the middle. And I will often find um, in relationships that there's some adjustment that's needed to get people on the same page of where they want to fall on that autonomy to mutuality thing. And jealousy is one of these things where you've got to negotiate for this. What does this look like? You know, how much is it the person who's experiencing the jealousy's job to manage their own jealousy and meet their, get their own needs met independent of the other partner, right? And that might depend sometimes on the source of jealousy. Is this something that goes all the way back to childhood or is it something originating sure. within this particular relationship? Um, and how much of it is, you know, asking for the partner to step up and, you know, step in and meet some of those needs that the partner is asking for to, um, to, to show up to the relationship and help out. Right. Because it's also totally valid for somebody to say, this is how you can meet my needs. And for the other partner to say, mm -hmm. I, j I can't do that. That's in direct, you know, contrast yep. with what my needs are at this time. And I think that's one of the hardest things that I've learned about yeah. being an adult in relationships is that, you know, you can state your needs, but that doesn't mean that the other person will be able to meet them. Being able to um, communicate no is very important in a relationship. Being able to hear that is very important in a relationship and not take it personally, right? So there's mm -hmm. always someone's always got to have a limit. Um, and being able to trust that your partner will um, e explain their limits or be honest to their limits and and say no when they're really feeling like they can't do something as opposed to saying yes to everything um, can really actually help out a relationship. Giving your partner space to say no to something, believe it or not, is more helpful than just and either anticipating their no and not speaking up or always expecting a yes for everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's such a it's such a I mean, relationships are so much more complex, I think, than I ever thought that they were. I mean, and you know that, right? Like you see that in media that, mm -hmm. uh, like you said, there weren't very many examples of healthy relationships on TV or movies or anything. But seems like even more so. Um, mm -hmm. And there is something to say about, you know, transitioning into the idea of non-monogamy here. There's something to be said about the fact that people who are successfully dating in this way and being partnered mm -hmm. in this way so frequently are communicating so well that it's remarkably healthy. Is that um, understanding that I have correct or is that a stereotype? Feel free to correct me. <laughs> I think there, there is certainly non-monogamy will teach you where all the cracks are in your ability to communicate. 
Um, you will sure. get called out a lot more for poor communication because you've got a lot more people calling you out, uh, hopefully. <laughs> um, so there is certainly a lot more growth for opportunity. I also think one of the the big five, there's the big five personality traits. And one of the, the mm-hmm. major differences in non-monogamous people is this openness to exploration is a, the, the biggest personality trait difference from monogamous people. And so I think that openness to exploration often means that people are also open to growth in a lot of ways, um, open to hearing mm-hmm. these things. And that doesn't mean everyone, uh, but I see it a lot more people wanting to grow, wanting to be better, um, wanting to learn more about themselves. And that usually means that even if they're struggling at the beginning, if they stick with it, they do tend to get better at communicating over the long run. And very successful people in non-monogamy continue to work on this communicating better piece. Yeah, I think there's a lot, lot we can learn there. Just, I mean, and there's something to be said for getting called out. It hurts sometimes, oh, yeah. but if it's done with love and good intention, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think it can be really, really healthy. And you're right. If you're having multiple people call you out and they're calling you out on the same thing, you have to take a second and go, well, the common denominator here is me. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what am I going to, what am I going to do yeah, about this? Yeah. Well, what are some misconceptions, mm-hmm. speaking of stereotypes mm-hmm. and everything, that you want to clear up about um, ethical non-monogamy? I think there's, there's a lot of common ones out there. And I think the biggest one I, I always like to clear up is, you know, as someone who's non-monogamous, I, I don't think that it's any in any way superior to monogamy by any means. Um, it's just another, it's one other relationship style. And I think it's totally possible to, for instance, get just as good at communicating and growing in a monogamous relationship as it is in a non-monogamous relationship. Um, so I don't, the first misconception I want to clear up is that I have something against monogamy somehow, um, or that I think it is somehow inferior to non-monogamy. Uh, I think it's, figure out the relationship style that works for you at this given time. Some people move sort of back and forth between the two as is the circumstance of their life. And that's great. Do what is important to you. I think some of the other, the other big misconception is that people who are doing non-monogamy are in it for the sex. Um, And there's actually a lot of People who are in non-monogamy who are asexual or aromantic Mm -hmm. who aren't in it for the sex. And one of the reasons they like the non-monogamy is they don't feel that pressure um, to be uh, a highly sexual being. And they can like be in a relationship and have that community and their partner can get their needs met somewhere else and the pressure is off of them. Um, that is so interesting. Wow. Okay. That's so interesting. Yeah. Because, you know, I identify mm-hmm. as demisexual. And the thing that I'm realizing is there's a lot of people who it's different for everybody, yep. right? Like I have a friend who also is demisexual, but she's kind of like, huh, like non-monogamy might also mm-hmm. be for me. It, 
just because, you know, we think of, and I have historically guilty, like thought of those terms as being opposite, there is, I think, a lot more overlap oh, yeah. um, than I, you know, originally thought that there was, which is just fascinating and thinking about that, thinking, okay, there's no pressure on me for this. I can have the emotional, aromantic, you know, relationship that I want, but there doesn't need to be this physical component. It does. It takes the mm-hmm. pressure off. And you get to emotionally connect with more than yep. one person. Yep. Huh. Yeah. I mean, I I am, you know, monogamous, but I can absolutely see the appeal there. Fascinating. Well, any other ones that you can uh Yeah. Uh one other big one. This one actually really surprised me. They recently did a study of the demographics of who is open to an open relationship and they weren't super clear on what they defined as an open relationship. But they found in terms of demographics, the there was no difference. Like it, the demographics were flat on this. It didn't matter what area you lived in, what race, what religion, what political affiliation you had. The it was pretty much twenty five to thirty percent of people were open to an open relationship. The only people who had a slightly higher um, willingness to be in open relationships were LGBTQIA people. So, believe it or not, uh, and it didn't matter age either. People all across all sorts of demographics are are equally um, interested or willing to consider the idea of an open relationship. Yeah, and I mean, if you think about it, I had somebody on maybe like a mm-hmm. year ago, and and I was like, yeah, you know, I consider myself monogamous, and I mean, if you think about it, we have I have so many female friends that I have like almost romantic friendship mm-hmm. with, like technically that's outside of the umbrella mm-hmm. of monogamy. Um, and there are so many other ways in which you connect with other people. Like, I mean, if I was open to. Um, you know, going to like a a sex club or being like viewed um, in like a voyeuristic mm-hmm. way, technically that would be involving a different person. Yeah. So it's it's a lot bigger of an umbrella than I think that we we think yes. it is, which I find yep. fascinating. Yeah, and I think also don't forget that some people who you, you don't get to label people for them, right? People get to pick their labels. So someone who we might look at. And look at them, you know, maybe they're swingers. Sometimes this is where you see it the most, right? They're, they're swinging. Um, they're, you know, it's a couple having sex with another couple on occasion. They might still call themselves monogamous uh, and not, mm-hmm. not look at themselves as being in an open relationship or being non-monogamous. They're going to still follow under that category of monogamy because that's how they choose to label themselves. That's how they decide. Mm-hmm. That's yep. a good point. That's a good point. Very interesting. Yeah. I just think um, I love that things are becoming more fluid mm-hmm. um, in this in this realm. I think that society and especially here in this country and in the U.S., um, things have been so strict. And I, I love that around the world we're starting to be more accepting of the things that are outside yeah, of the Yeah, definitely. The uh, I know I you know keep my eye on the news. There's a lot of news coming out of – India, especially about how big non-monogamy is getting uh, in that country, uh, which you know always surprises me. And I, I know people like over in Europe; they've been doing a lot of research 
uh, over there in non-monogamous communities. So it, it's definitely not just a you know white Western thing. It is right in a lot of other cultures. It's around the world, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you've there are different religions in which um, you know people have multiple mm-hmm. partners. I think you can get into a kind of complex conversation there about like the patriarchy yeah. and and um, using that. When, when only one of the partners can have multiple partners, I think it's a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but hey, I guess if you're consenting adults, go off. Yeah, right? I mean, there's, you could always ask what is consent. And I, you know, I even put out an entire blog post on what is consent, what is ethical, how do you get to mm-hmm. ethical or consensual within a relationship? I don't tend to like to put the word ethical or consensual in front of non-monogamy a mm-hmm. whole lot because I think it's, um, really, you're you're making a false comparison, right? We don't say ethical or consensual monogamy. Um, it just sounds no. funny. Uh, we don't like separate that out, e- even when we're talking about like arranged marriages, right? We don't say it's mm-hmm. a- unethical monogamy just because it's an arranged <laughs> marriage. When that's so true, right? yeah. So I, I don't like really using these words. Um, and I think that a lot of people call their monog- non-monogamy ethical when it's like, okay, you're not really using this this framework though. You're not, it's not like you're using an ethical framework to make decisions within your non-monogamy. So please stop calling it that if you haven't like sat down yeah. and said, I am very utilitarian right. in this, right? So- yeah, it's almost like it's when like, you know, you're on dating apps and you see people say like ethically non-monogamous, it's almost like they so want to be cheating, like, so I'm not cheating, yes, just so you know, right? I'm not cheating. Right. And I think that's a really, <laughs> yeah. um, I, I think it that's, there's some internalized monogamy um, by using that language. So I tend to not like it as mm. much. Very interesting. I'm going to have to link to that yeah. blog post in the episode notes that people yeah, can check that out. Yeah. Very cool. Well, what kind of um, issues do you, I mean, so I have heard and I have even thought about doing this in my Mm -hmm. own relationship, this idea of having like, oh gosh, and you see this, I mean, I hate Fifty Shades of Grey, (laughs) but it kind of Uh brought, good Lord, I could go off. Um, You know, this idea that there's a contract and that's kind of what you have to do when you communicate. I mean, maybe you don't have a physical piece of Mm -hmm. paper, but you have to come to an agreement with your partner. I mean, is that something that you walk people through? Uh, Absolutely. I think that's most of what I end up walking people through. Uh, Coming to an agreement is surprisingly difficult because the English language is very vague and (laughs) humans are incredibly good at intentionally making things vague and then hiding in the vagary of it. Um, They will, (laughs) you know, when it suits them, they will be very literal. And when it doesn't suit them, they will say, but I mean the spirit of it, right? So they go back and forth on these things, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so a lot of times when I'm walking people through it, I, these are the things that we talk about, right? What, what are you building this agreement around? What do you mean by this word? You know, like when people talk about, I expect you to be respectful, like respectful is a very abstract, vague word. What does respect Mm -hmm. mean? It means completely different things to different people. So a lot of these words come up in 
making agreements. And so a, a lot of times I'm just sitting down with people and helping them recognize where they're using very vague language in their agreements. Or, hmm. you know, a lot of times they'll have agreements that are some of the boilerplate agreements that are out there that everyone kind of knows are are not the greatest agreements to have or break down very easy. Like the don't fall in love with other people agreement like sounds great on the surface, but good luck enforcing it. What does it. that mean? Well, yeah, what does it mean? <laughs> and also like good luck enforcing it. We can't always mm -hmm. help like there's a chemical reaction that happens and we don't always know yeah. when it's going to happen and it just happens sometimes. We can't stop it from happening. We don't have a way to like tamp that down. Our bodies just do it sometimes. So it's right. um, not a realistic expectation to have. Yeah, I mean that when you're entering into something like that, I guess like it's making sure that everybody has the same definition of yep. those things. And I do think that that's true. You do hear that a lot. Don't fall in love with mm -hmm. anybody else. But it's that's so well, A, like you said, mm -hmm. vague, but it, it's also like it, it would be dangerous, I think, to start having feelings and then to make yourself not feel them. I think resentment. Oh, grow. yeah, <laughs> it does. Um, yeah, more and more mm -hmm. and more. Um, well, what about like if people are working through, you know, these definitions, what are some of these, you know, bringing it back to jealousy and self-love? What are what are some of the like things that you walk them through mm. there? to communicate about jealousy management and, um, you know, making sure that each partner is taking care of themselves separately. Yeah. That one is a lot more exploration of like how far back did this jealousy go? Where did it originate from? Um, because if you're dealing with a jealousy that's been around from childhood, you might be dealing with a need that like never got met in the first place in the, you know, the family of origin and they're expecting their partner to meet this need. And, and that can be really hard and, and impossible for the partner to do, right? It's filling in a hole that they're not responsible for. And sometimes a partner is willing to do that, but they're, you're asking a lot of that person. And so we might have to talk about that. Now, the jealousy could also be that this partner broke an agreement, right? Tried to open up the relationship from cheating or something like that. And now there's a lack of trust in the relationship that needs mm -hmm. to be repaired. Mm -hmm. That happens pretty frequently as well. And so there's a, how do you resolve a break of trust in the relationship? Because if you don't resolve that break of trust or what that break of a trust is about, then you're only going to find that break over and over and over again in the relationship. And you're just going to keep finding it in places because it's never been resolved. Ugh, that sounds loaded. And yes, <laughs> very much so. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. And I guess like that, is that something that you walk people oh, through yeah. too? Like if there has been a breach of trust, like you help them to, I mean, how does one go about rebuilding trust after a betrayal yeah. like that with the same person who did that? Yeah, it, it is about like getting into what happened that created the the conditions to make that breach of trust happen. Does the person who who breached the trust 
understand what was going on for them? Do they understand, does everyone in the relationship understand what the breakdown in communication was, the breakdown in emotions, whatever it was? And what are the steps that people have put in place to ensure that that doesn't happen again? And that can be, it can be very difficult if one person is feeling very defensive or feeling like, you know, well, I, I didn't see it as a breach in trust. I didn't see my behavior as actually being that bad. Um, or, you know, you, I can't believe you're still hurt by this. You need to get over it. Then they're, they're literally never going to be able to repair it. And the other person is just going to no. keep feeling it over and over and over again. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I think there has to be a fair amount of accountability, um, too, with both, both parties. And I think, in relationships in general, you know, whether non-monogamous or not, um, there has to be a lot of accountability yeah. because you're you're holding each other to a, a standard yep. and, you know, we're human beings. We're naturally going to. It's the people that you love the most who yep. hurt you and they don't always mean <laughs> yeah, to. Yeah. And I, um, just to kind of hit on that point, I know that this can be kind of controversial, but there's this thing where people want unconditional love in their relationship. And th this is not what you're looking for is something that you should have gotten from a parent, not from a partner, mm -hmm. right? Unconditional love is you don't have boundaries, you can't be held accountable to, to anything in your relationship. And a relationship monogamous or non-monogamous needs boundaries, and it needs that accountability. So unconditional love is really like it, it's a power differential that is can be very problematic. Um, so if you have no accountability in your relationship, then you're just allowed to go do whatever you want all the time. So, yeah, you're right. That's controversial, but I've said something similar before. Like it's just um, like you're entering into this. You know, I've heard of couples who, and I've thought about doing this. You know, every year on their anniversary, they revisit. How are we doing? Are we still happy? Are there things that we need to change? All right, let's revisit this in a year to make sure that we're still, you know, making each other happy. I mean, that's conditional. Yep. Yep. It's the definition of yep, conditional. Absolutely. Um, it's just the job of each person to communicate if their needs are changing or if their needs yeah. are not being met. Absolutely. So that's where it can be. That's where it can be a little bit messy. Well, okay. Well, you have a therapy background and you work with people. We kind of talked about the fact that you, you know, have the therapy background. You also have your own personal experiences, mm -hmm. but what kind of therapies do you engage with in your, with your clients? Um, I saw something on your website about brain spotting and I was like, I don't know what the hell that is, but I want it. Yeah. Brain spotting actually was um, developed out of EMDR. So it's slightly newer than EMDR. Um, it's a form of trauma therapy. Uh, and there's some science around um, if you can hold your gaze still, you can integrate information across different time spans in your life uh, deeper into your brain. Um, so what brain spotting does is it helps you integrate trauma across your brain a lot better. And that's like a very oversimplified way of putting it, but it helps people process that trauma. And sometimes it helps people process very complex trauma that is occurring over and over and over and over again in their life that is all getting stored together, if that makes Interesting. sense. Yeah. Like I, I know exactly. I compounded mm -hmm. trauma. I have 
definitely I dealt with that in my yep. early twenties. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm feeling I'm feeling some kind mm-hmm. of way. This kind of feels familiar. When else did I feel this yes. kind of way? Oh shit, I have to come to terms with these three different yeah. things that I haven't dealt yeah. with. So very familiar with yeah. that. Interesting. Well, what other what other things? Um, I mean, it sounds like you have a background in EDMR as um, well. Uh, no, I actually don't have my my work partner has a background in that. Oh, okay. um, I I kind of I did the brain spotting as a contrast to them getting that modality uh, trained in, just so we both okay. we both play off each other quite a bit. Um, they helped me run the non monogamy academy, so we we have like slightly different trainings intentionally, so that we get a broad perspective on these types of things. We work with a lot of the same issues, but we like to have like these different slightly different trainings, so that we can come to um, an understanding that's from a slightly different place. Got to cover all the bases. That's really cool. That's really, really cool. Um, yeah. Well, what other, what other techniques do you, you use? Um, I, so I'm also packed therapy trained, which is a type of couples therapy that is attachment based um, and helps, Ooh, yeah, helps people really figure out their attachment style. So I, I spend a lot of time talking about a- attachment and non-monogamy um, and the way that that works together. And then um, I just sex therapy certified, which isn't mm-hmm. a modality specifically. It's just a lot of training in how to talk to people sure. about their sex lives um, and help them come to an agreement or help them work through trauma associated with their, their sex lives. Um, so that's most Absolutely. of it. I've been trained in a lot of other random stuff uh, that I, you know, I use bits and pieces from everything and, and try to come uh, to people with you know, whatever suits them best um, with how they're showing up in front of me. Yeah. Different things are going to work for different people. And it sounds like you have like a full arsenal of different options so that, you know, no matter what the person's issue is between you and your Mm -hmm. partner, something will will work. That's really cool. Well, we're starting to run low on time here, but like, why don't you give some, do you have any last pieces of advice or things that you want people to know for somebody who is struggling with taking care of themselves, with their self-love, with maybe a, a partnership that's struggling with jealousy or somebody who, you know, wants to um, learn more about non-monogamy. Just, I know that's a very, very <laughs> yeah. broad um, thing that you can give advice on, but it kind of touches on everything that we've touched on today. Um, yeah. Do you have any last things that you want to share about about those topics that we didn't cover today? There are just so many resources out there. And, you know, of course, I have my own resources at, at, you know, nonmonogamyacademy.com. And I can only see people in the state of Washington for my therapy practice. Uh, But there's those resources there. And there's just so many other resources out there. There's a lot of books. um, And I would strongly suggest if books aren't your thing, Go to YouTube, just type in mm-hmm. what is um, what you're feeling or what you're experiencing. And there's all these like short five, 10 minute videos on there that usually provide little bits and pieces of, of things mm-hmm. that will help you. They can help you kind of muddle through or give you some advice on, um, you know, how to implement uh, some sort of CBT protocol to help you get through right. something. Um, but if you're really struggling with stuff, don't 
don't hesitate to go out and do a little research. I know YouTube's probably for the older generations. I'm sure TikTok has a bunch of stuff as well. Um, Both of them. People still use YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) But there's just so many good resources out there these days. Uh, Do not be afraid to do some Google searching and do what works for you. Some things are going to work and some things just aren't. And it is a crapshoot about what will work and what won't. Totally. And it's so funny. That's actually how I, about a year ago, it was on my mm-hmm. birthday last year. Um, I literally went to YouTube and typed in what is demisexuality. Mm-hmm. And then my mind <laughs> yep. proceeded to be yep. blown over the next hour when mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this explains why I felt so weird my yeah. entire life. So it's fascinating. YouTube, really huge fan. I've, I've figured out so many things just by Googling, yes. you know, a question. And I'm like, oh, yeah. okay, that makes sense. So I think the other big thing just to kind of piggyback off that is like, don't get discouraged if the first thing you you try with something doesn't work. Because sometimes it just doesn't. Sometimes you got to try three or four things, see what works. And then, you know, sometimes you, you it, they don't work the first time. And then like two years later, you come back to it and it works this time, right? It doesn't, this is just how life works sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, Karen, where can people find you? Where can they learn more about what you do, your mm-hmm. blog? I'm going to link to that for yep. sure um, and and the different resources that you have. And if they're in the state of Washington, where can yeah. they work with you? Uh, the Non-Monogamy Academy has a class and the blog. So that's nonmonogamyacademy.com. And then my website for my therapy practice is branchingoutwellbeing.com. Uh, and I have some fairly limited space there if you're in the state of Washington. So great. Amazing. Well, thank you, Erin, yeah. so much for talking to me today and um, letting me pick your brain about a topic that I don't know a ton mm-hmm. about, but I, I know that a lot of people have questions about. So um, I really appreciate you coming on and, and uh, sharing yeah, what you got. Thank you so much for having me, Rachel. Yeah, of course. And thank you listeners for being here and listening to this wonderful conversation. My name is Rachel Dalton. You've been listening to Wine, Dine, and 69, and let's keep talking. Mm